Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for joining us today here at Faith Radio. I hope you enjoyed Susie Larson Live. And if you're uh, still uh, with me, I'm glad that you're here. And thank you for listening. We want to welcome all the brand new listeners in the Rapid City uh, area. Thank you for tuning in. KLMP 88.3 in Rapid City. You're the latest member of the Faith Radio family. And this is Afternoons with me, and I'm Bill, and today uh, is a regular uh, occurrence on Thursdays. At this time, we do Guy Talk, which is a panel of pastors, former pastors and theologians and really smart people that can answer any of your Bible questions. So whether you've got a question about the Bible... <laughs> any, I tell you. Well, you're not supposed to chime in yet, Tom. I'm sorry. <laughs> excuse, me. excuse me, I'll zip it. Heard these cats. Would you do something? All right. So uh, if you have a question about the Bible, maybe you've, you've got a question you've always wanted to ask your pastor, but you didn't have the courage to do it, you can ask these pastors. Or maybe you have a question about the culture that we live in today, or maybe there's something about religion or a world religion. We will do our very best to answer whatever question you have. That's the format for this hour. You can send your questions over via text to 877 933 2484. Again, 877-933-2484. Now, my power panel today is Pastors Tom Brock, Tom Parrish, and Peter Kapsner. 007 is out. Gentlemen, welcome. Good to be here. Thank you, Bill. Yeah. Thanks, Bill. Yeah, so just to get things started, I'm looking at a passage out of 1 Corinthians 13. We think of this as the love chapter, right? Yes. With Valentine's Day coming up on Monday, I thought this would be a good place to start. Whoa. You know? And it seems that you guys have probably done a, a fair amount of marrying people, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. And when they come to you, do they often choose this passage? Mm-hmm. This is what they want? Oh, they want? love it. Yeah. Yeah. And is it, does it, is it an expression of marital love? Or no. How do we understand this? <laughs> <laughs> Not really. Tom Parrish, you go first. Yeah, well, the context that, that he's talking about here is talking about the believers and their relationship to the Lord Jesus and to one another. And the love that's here, because there are four different words you can use in Greek for love. This is the agape. And this is a love that is in response to the love we've been shown. And it is really uh, uh, predicated on thankfulness. It's predicated on a choice. Now, if I could get marital couples to really make a choice to love one another, I know that 20, 30, 40 years down the road, they're still going to love each other because they're choosing to love. They're not looking for the you know, the, the lust anymore, the sexual desire and all that, that can be there. That's fine because God designed that. But the real love is the love that says, I'm going to choose to love you, Bill. I'm going to love to choose to love you guys because despite who you are and despite who I am, because Jesus loves me, we don't see enough of that kind of love. And quite frankly, most uh, couples I know really don't want that in their wedding ceremony either, mm-hmm. but it's a great topic. <clears throat> Yeah, I, I mean, I do understand why people that are getting married want to use this passage. There, there's sort of this poetic rhythm to it. Uh, it, it. It just reads really well. It it makes for a very good plaque on the wall, all of those things. And, and I do think that uh, love 
as described in this passage, should characterize a marriage. But I think it's one of those cases as well where we tend to take scriptures in terms of why they were written and to whom they were written, and maybe misuse them in ways that the original author didn't have in mind. And, and Parrish, you alluded to it. The context for this passage actually starts in the chapter before in 1 Corinthians 12, where after Paul has just gotten done in, a, in sort of this long uh, admonishment of the Corinthian community. They were, they were all about being individuals. They were all about competing with one another. Uh, they, had, they, they were divided and fractured on so many different issues. And one of the specific issues on which they were fractured was the use of spiritual gifts. Mm -hmm. and, and they were emphasizing spiritual gifts, some above others, especially speaking in tongues. And it was, again, it was really just dividing the community. And so Paul really uh, rips them apart pretty good in, the, in chapter 11 and chapter 12. And then at the end of chapter 12, he finishes with this phrase, and now let me show you yes. a more excellent way. And, and I think it's so helpful to remember, Paul was not writing in chapter and verse. He was just writing on a scroll. And so if we don't, mm. if we just assume his thought starts in 1 Corinthians 13, 1, then we really misunderstand these passages. So when he's talking about love in chapter 13 now, he's actually describing how it is that people who are a part of the believing community should exercise gifts for one another. The, the spiritual gifts we've been given by the Spirit when we're baptized into the community of faith, um, as Paul is describing again in Corinthians, uh, that they're meant for the good of other people. We're meant to live in an other-centered body. And, and I guess the last uh, maybe piece of this that Parrish is bringing up, when, when you're operating out of agape, you're operating from, from a place of saying, I care about another person's well-being above my own. And yeah. so I've been given the spiritual gift to actually care for your well-being, not to find myself, not to discover myself, not to find my purpose or my place, all the ways in which we may use spiritual gifts. We're, we're uh, to be using it only for the sake of other people in the body. And so love is meant to ca characterize the church. And, and in that way, I have to say, we probably could spend at least once a year in any church body, uh, maybe three or four weeks at a time, saying, so how are we operating with one another in love in these ways? I think that letter is terribly relevant for the church today. Good word. Great word, Peter. And Tom, Tom Brocky, and then he that? just said everything I was going to say. <laughs> yeah, me too. Well, I was, he I really was did. Yeah. I mean, reading your text to me, but, uh, Brock. So. Well, you know, Bill, if you don't mind, I'm driving into the studio just half an hour ago, and it was snowing pretty bad. And, you know, I was inspired to well, write a song. Do you mind? Hey, what are you going to sing it? <laughs> you know, Bill, the weather outside is frightful, but guy talk is so delightful. So if you're listening at home or in a cab, let us blab, let us blab, let us blab. You like, you like it, Bill? I can't say, is that going to be a hit? I can't say I like it. Oh. Yeah. You love it? No. Oh, no. I'm definitely not going there. Okay. I promise I'm not going to sing, Bill. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Your listenership just went down 50%. More okay. than that. Okay. Um, so to all of our new listeners in the Rapid City area, I am so sorry. Uh, <laughs> but get used to it. Yeah. Ouch. <laughs> all right. Here's an interesting question. Once a person has received the Holy Spirit, do you ask to be forgiven of your sins or do you ask to be washed clean? Yes. Okay. Yeah, me too. <laughs> yes. Next. Yep, I agree. <laughs> You're saying essentially the same thing. I mean, in Judaism, part of the understanding of forgiveness was not only sacrificing the, the sacrificial Passover lamb, but they went through a lot of ritual washings, too. And they understood the ritual washing was a cleansing of them 
bodily, spiritually, emotionally, but it was also a means of uh, what is cleansing for? Cleansing is the rid us of those things that distract us from the Lord, and that's called sin. So either one will work in that situation. And, and the and verse? Okay. I, employ them, I employ them both. <laughs> well, the verse for both, First John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and, and to cleanse. cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Yeah. So uh, I, I think I just had some guy not like what I had to say on a TV show, and he said, did you say that we're forgiven of our sins past, present, and future? And he said, First John 1, 9, no, we're not. we got to confess them. And my response to him, Jesus did die for all our sins, past, present, and future. And yes, we need to confess our sins, but does that mean I have to confess all my sins to go to heaven? You don't know half your sins. Uh, and when you die, everybody will have sins they've committed that they didn't confess in time. We're saved by grace, by what Christ did on the cross, not by having enough time to confess all my sins, many of which you don't even know. So... Yeah, I like both sides of that that um, invitation. I think I was just th- thinking that leprosy is is such a picture of sin in terms of just this physical metaphor for it that happens when Jesus is with the lepers and when he heals them, he's actually restoring them. He's cleansing them. He's, he's in maybe one way to say it, he's making them beautiful again, uh, where the disfiguring power is no longer at work uh, in their skin and their body. And, And that really is a picture of what's going on as Jesus forgives us of our sins. Yes. In that one time sense of it. Um, and it's sort of this macro sense when we say yes to following him, but it, it is a process in which we also then walk out for a lifetime in terms of walking within the forgiveness. And, and uh, there, there's a real beauty that I think people who, people who are forgiven, people who keep walking in that way, uh, there's a real beauty that I think they manifest, a real calm that they, and confidence they have in the world. See, I think Satan is really good at coming after us and saying, did you really confess it all? Were you really sincere enough? Did you really feel bad about that? And I remember one old pastor, a former missionary, who told me, he said, Tom, if your focus is upon what you've done and how well you've confessed, you've missed the point. Mm -hmm. The focus is on what Jesus has done and how much he loves you, and that's who you cling to. Mm -hmm. And so on the day of judgment, you're not clinging to, have I confessed everything? It'd be nice if we could do that. But it comes down to, am I clinging to Jesus because he's clinging to me? Mm-hmm. And I mean, we've heard a lot of questions over the the time on Guy Talk, haven't we? The, of people saying, "I just I don't feel the forgiveness that I have." And I think, is there? Do you say maybe there's a difference between being forgiven, but also still sort of living with some measure of regret, or maybe having to deal with some yes. of the consequences of your sins? And and I think forgiveness just gives us an open and free future to continue to deal with the consequences of our sins, where there's not yet another power at mm-hmm. work in us. I, mm-hmm. I don't always know how to think about that, but we do get that question a lot, don't we? We yes. do. And, you know, I think Luther would say that, you know, Satan will bring up his old sins, and he would say, Satan, let me take you to the cross, and behold, the Lamb of God, which has taken away my sins, move, move on. And I think, you know, I don't know about you, but sometimes Satan brings up my sins that maybe happened 10 years ago. we got to just plead the blood. Uh, I've claimed forgiveness. Next, you know. Mm. Good word, Tom Brock. Thank you for that. And thank you, Tom Parrish and Peter Kapsner, my guests for Guy Talk today. Let me know what your questions are. Send them over via text 877-933-2484. Again, 877-933-2484. Some great questions coming in. And we will get to them uh, after a short break.
Welcome back to Guy Talk, or Guys Who Talk. We've got Pastors Tom Brock, Tom Parrish, and Peter Kapsner. Tom Brock, I think, went to the bathroom. I think yes, he did. Back. He will be back. Yes, he will. Yeah, but we're go- we're moving on without him. We can. We got to go forward. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. Uh, here's a question. This comes from John chapter 13, verses 14 and 15. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. The question is, I've never heard of a church that promotes this. Why? Foot washing? Well, yeah. Well, there's, yeah. Yeah, there's some. Oh, yeah, there are quite a few okay. that are out there. I mean, they don't do it every Sunday. Okay. Uh, they usually do it during Lent, you know, like Holy Week, Monday, Thursday. But there are churches who do that, and and I've done it. I think Tom, you've done it, from what I remember. I don't think I ever have, to be honest. Have, and you? I don't know that we're commanded to do this like we are right. commanded to do the Lord's Supper. Jesus said, "As uh, as often as you drink it," uh, meaning we're sure. To, I mean, and when Jesus says, "You know, you've seen what I've done to you," you know, do that for each other. I think that he was teaching a humility lesson. I don't think he was saying, "Here's another sacrament; you need to do this every month." You know. Yeah, agreed. I mean, didn't they wash feet in that time because they were walking around in really dusty ground all the time? And so it was usually the role reserved for servants. It's not all that different here in in Minnesota, where I live, where if somebody Mm -hmm. shows up on a really uh, cold day at my door and maybe they've been outside for quite some time, I'll say, hey, can I take your hat? Can I take your scarf? Can I take your jacket? Can I take, um, you know, get you a, a hot tea or something along those lines? This this is about serving the person uh, more than yourself in terms of hospitality. And in that culture, when you, you said it well, Brock, this was a humility lesson because the washing of the feet or the greeting at the door in that way was really usually the role of the servant and, and especially the servant for like the religious leader or the religious elite. It was sort of almost an honor for the servant to to wash the feet of the master uh, or something along those lines. So uh, Jesus was basically saying that instead of being the one whose feet are getting washed all the time, as if in my kingdom, you're going to become part of the spiritually elite. I want you to be the kind of person who washes somebody's feet. Now, the washing of the feet, like you guys said, that was because it was a, it was a dusty culture. It wasn't because there was some biblical command about feet that transcends time and, and culture. So I think that the point is, is humility and service is going to mark Jesus's kingdom. Whereas the disciples thought, man, if we're going to follow this Jesus guy, he's super powerful. So who gets to sit in your right hand and left hand and who gets to wield all the power? And Jesus is like, yeah, my kingdom isn't going to be about that at all. I've met Christians and Christian pastors as well as lay people who walk with the Lord for a long time. And sometimes you see people that are in the church a long time become arrogant. They think they know everything. These people, though, I literally, I would tell my wife, these people are foot washers mm-hmm. because here they have all the intellect, all the, the education, all the knowledge. Uh, they, If I went on jeopardy with them, they'd humiliate me. That's how good they were. And yet, these are the same people that are the first ones to wash uh, the dishes, wash the dishes, you know, I had one pastor who started seminary in Tanzania who was with me, and when he came out on Sunday morning, here I am, 35 years old. He's in his 70s at the time. And he said, I learned from you every Sunday God's Word. And I, I, I'm thinking, this is crazy. He was sincere, though. I mean, this was not just a nice thing to say. Mm-hmm. That's the kind of person he was because he wanted to learn, and he would take it as it was brought to him. It was amazing. Mm-hmm. Nicely done. All right, here's an interesting question. What would be the global implications, especially here in the U.S., if the results of the ongoing Finnish trial find that quoting the Bible is hate speech? 
Well, I, I'm not so sure we're going to we're that far from it. I and mean, Canada's got their problems right now. I know Finland does. And I think it's going to come to that to some degree. And this is where I think Christians have to be wise. We don't need to go out and look for trouble. But I don't think we ever compromise what the Word of God says. Ever. And we stand up for it. And as a result of doing that, some of us are going to pay a big price. Mm-hmm. And I hate to think about that. I wish it wouldn't happen. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, um, I cannot, and I don't think any of us here could ever deny Jesus or his word. And so we will pay that price if it comes to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, agreed. I have to admit, I'm kind of itching for a scrum. I, I wouldn't mind. I wouldn't uh, mind. You first. I kind of, yeah. I'm, no, I was thinking you'd go first still, but I'm kind of itching, itching for the scrum. I don't. I just. I would love to. You, you think about the opportunity you have to bear pub, public witness, and and I don't get me wrong. I'm in no hurry to to um, be physically martyred like the first church was uh, for their faith. But I will say this. I mean, it, it's almost always in persecution, where you get to offer what the contrasting view of life and God and faith and kingdom is in an entirely different kind of way. I mean, I know that Christianity spread as a direct result of people watching the faithfulness of the martyrs in the Roman Colosseum, that as they were being cut down by the gladiators or torn apart by the the wild animals, they held hands together and they they sang this sort of these beautiful otherworldly songs as they were dying. And instead of stamping out Christianity, more people were leaving the Colosseum that day, deciding that this whole thing that they're calling the way, which was what what they called Christianity at that time, we want to become followers of the way, too. That's something that I could give my life to. So, um, yeah, I don't know. There's so much false teaching and so much craziness in the world, but it's always so subdued and just a little bit gray that I, I wouldn't mind the stark relief of being able to just say, um, with, with better clarity, no, this is kingdom life, and it's different than anything else going on in this world. And you know the issue today that is going to get the church persecuted? What do you think it is? It's homosexuality. If you won't it, bow to the transgender LGBT stuff, those are the people that are getting sued in Finland and in Canada. And isn't it weird that that's the dividing line? For some reason, abortion, you can be pro-life, but if you speak against homosexuality, wow, can you be in trouble with some of these news outlets? And isn't that strange that that's become the dividing line right now? Yeah, and that's why we need to stand together as Christians so that I don't just say, well, that Tom Brock, boy, he's gone to prison, and I know it's hard. And, uh, bless him for doing that. Not only do you need to say that and and pray for you, I need to find ways to help compensate you or your family and make sure that you continue even in prison, what you're doing with the gospel. Bring me cookies, Tom. I can do that. <laughs> and just to set the record straight, Tom Brock's not going to prison as we know at this point. <laughs> just let the not that we know of. Keep, not that we know keep of. Keep that straight, would you please? Yes. <laughs> well, sometimes you know, people hear something and they go, I appreciate Tom that. Brock's I going don't, to prison. No, Tom is <laughs> no, not right. going to prison. Uh, but if we wind up there, we <laughs> yeah. need to take care That's of one what another. Tom meant. Yeah. Right. But You're, people can still send cookies, can't they? Okay, they go ahead. They can, Yeah. <laughs> We have, we've had lefts We had lefts yeah, I remember sorry. that lady. God bless her. Yeah, exactly. All right, uh, here's a question. I've never heard it explained as to how Jesus was given the title and the reverence of being called a rabbi. I guess I figured it required formal training or instruction, and I'm just wondering how he acquired what must have been an honor to be called rabbi. Yeah, rabbis back in that day were simply just teachers. Yeah, uh, and, and or just means teacher. teacher. Okay. Yeah, yeah, just means teacher. And so you're teaching about the kingdom, but but back then it was it was teaching about the kingdom. But his demonstration of the power related to the kingdom is what caused all sorts of followers. So. All rabbis in that time had different followers, meaning people that wanted to become like them in that way. And so 
his credibility was that he was demonstrating power. He didn't have the right uh, educational pedigree in terms of how they understood the right pedigree. But I don't know, guys. I mean, I think um, I'd be curious your thoughts, too. It's maybe not that different than today in some ways that a lot of people are called teachers or have the right pedigree, but um, maybe aren't always demonstrating what's really true in the kingdom. You know, sometimes I go to a church or visit a church and wow, does the preacher have the gift of preaching? Mm-hmm. And I like to go up to him afterwards and say, you've got the gift. <laughs> and, you know, honestly, I think that's the way it worked. Jesus had such a powerful anointing on his ministry. People had to call him rabbi, regarding, regardless of whether he'd been to some synagogue training center or not. But, yeah. Mm-hmm. How would you describe the Trinity, uh, particularly to a skeptic or possibly a Muslim? A Muslim. Okay. That's a tough question. Matter of fact, I've actually, I'm, I'm serious. Um, the church that I serve is right next to the Muslim community in Minneapolis. Mm-hmm. And we have a lot of interaction. I've actually been working on this very thing that if we get the opportunity to disciple Muslims that have come to Christ, how do we teach them about the Trinity? And basically, it's a hard concept because it isn't spelled out clearly in the New Testament. Although there are, I think there are clearly 13 or 12 passages that talk about Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so part of what I would do with them is I would take them to the Scriptures to look at that so they can see it. And then trying to get into a human understanding, that's not an easy one. Because the church struggled with this for how long, Tom? 300, 400 years Mm -hmm. before they finally came to a conclusion? The point is, is that I find in my preaching and teaching now, I'm more ready to say, when I talk about the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit, rather than just Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, or just, you know, God. Because for most people, that doesn't make sense. But you start defining it very much down to that. These are all God. They're all in unity. Uh, it makes a big difference for the way people think. And I I now take Uber. How do you pronounce it? Uber? What are I take the cheap taxis home Uber. When, I, when I go to Uber. Yeah, Uber. Okay. So I would guess more than 50% of my Uber drivers... Mm-hmm are Muslims from Somalia. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I always give them a little track with a tip, but I, sometimes we get into discussion. And the point I make with them, because they've been drummed since birth to believe that we Christians believe in three gods. Yes. And I explain, no, we only believe in one God, but God is in three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three eternal persons. But no, just one God, and I know that's mind-boggling, but I, I you know, the old quote... He who doubts the Trinity will lose his salvation. He who tries to understand the Trinity will lose his mind. <laughs> so I think uh, that's one one thing I'd say. I think that's a topic we will continue on the, on the other side of the break. You're listening to the Guy Talk or Guys Who Talk, so let me know what your questions are, and I will present them and get them answered to the best of their ability. 877-933-2484. Be right back. Talk or guys who talk, they're 
pastors, Tom Brock, Tom Parrish, Dr. Peter Kapsner. So whatever question you have, send it over. We'd love to hear it, and we'd love to get it on the show, 877-933-2484. You can, of course, be anonymous if you like. We don't have to mention any names, but we would love to get your questions. So we're talking about the Trinity, not the easiest thing to communicate to someone, but a word came in that the word Trinity, of course, does not appear in Scripture. It was generated 200 years after Christ to try to explain to people the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's interesting that it has um, confused Christians, and we wonder why it doesn't confuse others. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I will tell you this. When the Jehovah's Witnesses are at your door, and they say the Trinity is of the devil, the word is nowhere in the Bible, it's a man-made thing, I, I respond, they're right that the word Trinity is not in the Bible. The concept of the Trinity you can find in the first paragraph of the Bible. Right. God said, Word of God, God, the Spirit of God was moving over the waters. Mm-hmm. God created, there's the Father. And so the con, you know, call it what you want. If you believe in one God and three persons, you believe in what's called the Trinity. So, yeah, it can get, it can get confusing. And I, I mean, I remember when I was a young pastor giving a talk on the Trinity one night at my church, and a guy maybe in his 80s, who I think had been in church his whole life, put up his hand, what do you mean Jesus is God? I thought he was the Son of God. Well, he is the Son of God. He's also God, the Son, who became a human being. I mean, you can sit in church for 50 years and not understand that Jesus is true God and true man. So I think we need to preach the Trinity. The last thing Jesus said on earth was, baptize in the name singular of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Yes. There's the Trinity. Mm Mm-hmm. So beginning and end. Mm. Yeah, I, I think uh, you do, the, the thing about Jesus being part of the Trinity, I think we could probably spend more time on his statement where he says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And, and I think some of us live, understandably so maybe, that um, God has an altogether different personality profile, God the Father does, than, than Jesus the Son. And sometimes, I certainly talk with my students about this, and, and they very much resonate with this, that God the Father is kind of the bad cop of the heavenly community, and, and Jesus the Son is sort of the good cop, and God the, the Father is this ang- you know almost ever angry cop all the time, but, but he sees us through the lens of Jesus, and so he kind of tolerates us. And there's just a lot of theological confusion, but, but more importantly than theological confusion, that confusion, I think, leads us to um, some, some weird ideas just how we do our lives. We almost live in the sort of weird combination of fear and gratefulness and all of this stuff, but you know, Jesus, the only time he really ever got angry was he was getting angry at the religious leaders who were keeping the people out of God's kingdom that desperately needed to get in, that desperately needed to find the healing and the hope and the love and the wholeness that are part of that community. And um, and so he would turn over the the changers, uh, the table changers in the temple for, for those people that were corrupt in their money. He was ripping, ripping on the Pharisees, calling them hypocrites and and traveling over land and sea to win converts to themselves and all of that. But he wasn't just, he wasn't this being that was perpetually angry with sin. He just didn't walk around and say, oh, I'm just mad at sin all the time. He said, no, I'm actually the one who can help heal the sin. And, and I think if we see that, 
he didn't tolerate sin in the sense that he said, oh, it's fine, but he would go right towards all of the sin because he wanted to set his image bearers free, his beloved free from the sin. And God is doing much the same thing. Anytime we see God act in anger in the Old Testament, sometimes wiping out people groups, it's be, it's not so God, you, know, you just had to blow off some steam in that day or something. Those people groups were directly keeping uh, the people of God out. Uh, and they, they were coming against the people of God. They were threatening the image bearers and the beloved and, and who God was coming to rescue. So God was taking them out um, because of the threats against uh, his people, not because he was always just so concerned or, you know, as if God was insecure in the heavens or something and needed everyone so to test his power. So the point of all of that is that for those that live in kind of this multi-personality Godhead, I think you could, you could study the life of Jesus and have a much better understanding of the Father. Good word. Yeah, it's interesting how we get caught up in this kind of stuff. I'm thinking about Jude, verse 5, says this. Now, I want to remind you, remember Jude was the half-brother of Jesus. Now, I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved the people of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And that's from the ESV, and they've gone back to some of the earliest translations possible mm-hmm. that have Jesus, Jesus there. And so the church had to struggle with, wait a minute, wait, 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 wait. You're saying this Jesus who was among us and who died and rose from the dead, was back there when the burning bush took place, Mm -hmm. was back there with Egypt when Mm -hmm. the plagues took place. And the early church said, yeah. And I think sometimes when we look at the Word of God, and it is, I believe in it with all my heart, it's the total message. But the Lord kept revealing himself even after the Scriptures were totally written so that people had a better understanding of who he was. So though you're right, the word Trinity may not appear in the Scriptures, but the Trinity is in the Scriptures. Do people Mm -hmm. understand that Jesus is the eternal God with the Father and the Spirit for all eternity? That's Christianity. And and, and you know, the part of the fault on people not getting that is because when's the last time you heard a sermon on the Trinity? Mm -hmm. I mean, a lot of preachers, they're, they're preaching on prosperity gospel or something. When's the last time you heard a TV preacher preach on the the full divinity and the full humanity of Jesus Christ. We need to preach this more. That's why I like it when you go into a church and every Sunday yeah. they've got the Nicene Creed. Yeah. Because if the preacher doesn't have the sense to preach it, at least they'll get it's it there. in the creed. You know, mm-hmm. Good word. Mm-hmm. All right, this is uh, my next question up. What do I say or how do I respond to a friend who has lost a family member and believes that the family member occasionally comes back to rattle a window or turn on a light or some such thing in order to let them know that the person is still around. I've run into a lot of people like this. And yes, the people have these uh, premonitions, experiences, whatever. And I've had people say to me, well, you know, Pastor, I think my uncle is back or my dad is back and doing that. And I will say to him, you know, Jesus says it's not possible for the dead to cross back over into this life. The scriptures out, you know, say that's not going to happen. So I don't know what you're experiencing, but you keep me informed of what happens with this. And I'm not kidding you. Three to four years later, they will come back and they'll go, you know that that rattling? Well, there was somebody in the window the other night and it wasn't fun. It scared me to death. So I think that we get drawn into this spiritualism on these kind of things. And then we don't realize the demons are manifesting that in another way. And that's why I tell people, look, if you're a Christian, learn how to use the name of Jesus and his shed blood because you never know what you're going to run into. Satan can appear as an angel of light. Sure can. Satan can appear as your dead sister. I had a dream once where my dead sister showed up, and it was so real, like she was floating outside my window. 
Hmm. And and I'm not sure hmm. it didn't happen because in the dream I sat up and when I woke up I was sitting up and in she was floating outside the window saying and and Ruthann and yes Tommy uh, is Jesus coming soon oh yes he's coming soon and then she started saying some real unbiblical stuff yeah that I knew this was a three dollar bill so just you know the devil can appear as your aunt doesn't mean that's that's uh, your aunt Jesus talks about yeah you know when in in Luke fifteen. When you die, you go to heaven or hell. You don't float around the planet giving messages. I'll budge this much. Somebody told me that when their sister died, that that night they, the sister like appeared to them and said goodbye or something. I can't remember the whole story. Now, could that happen? Okay, maybe. I thought but, you weren't going to budge. But I'm I'm not. Well, <laughs> um, yeah. Bill, I'm such a liberal, aren't I? Well, in, in that moment, I'm going, who are you and what have you done with Tom Brock? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm just saying only the Lord knows all this stuff. Right. And, you know, I do believe you go immediately to heaven or hell, but that doesn't mean that before you go, maybe for 10 seconds. Okay, mm. Tom's saying no. no. Everybody's shaking their head. Even I don't want any phone head, no. calls. I don't want any emails. Okay. Yeah. I don't want emails. <laughs> Peter, do you want to uh, clean up an aisle three? <laughs> <laughs> no, but I think I'm just going to let that rubbish oh. lay broken on the floor right there. Yeah, yeah. no, okay. I don't. I mean, yeah, there's a lot to that. I think it's. Um, oh boy, yeah. I think we better move on. <laughs> yeah, I think we should. Uh, if the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are Spirit are all God, then who is it that we are praying to? Good question. God. Yes, good question. Yeah. All of them. But you know, the, uh, Tom and I maybe no totally agree on this, but. The norm in the New Testament is you pray to the Father in Jesus' name. Yep. There are instances where people pray directly to Jesus, so that's fine. I don't know of an instance where people directly pray to the Holy Spirit, but I think that's fine too. Because uh, when I was 13, the pastor taught me when you talk to one, you're talking to them all. They can all hear it. So there you go. Well, and the, and the Bible is very clear. There's no jealousy among the Father, right. Son, and Holy Spirit. There's That's no right. envy. There's no debate. There's no contest. And so the Father and the Holy Spirit are thrilled when you pray to Jesus. Mm-hmm. And, the, and when we pray in Jesus' name to the Father, the Holy Spirit's thrilled. The Holy Spirit is there to put the light on Jesus. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's exactly what he does, and he does it very well. Mm-hmm. Just got a note. Tell Tom Brock to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Do you want to walk that one back? Amen. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm going to give you I'm, I'm, seriously. I'm going to give you a chance not, to walk that one back. Well, what do you what do you do with this? And I could have said diplom, dogma. Somebody said that when their sister died, before she died, yeah, she kind of appeared and said goodbye but before or she something. Died. I think so. Okay. So maybe the Lord allows that. I'm just saying before I, though, before she died. I think that's okay. what. Or, okay. Yeah, I can't remember yeah. for sure, Bill. Who knows what kind? But of, anyway, yeah. Yes. That's, that's as liberal as I'm going to get. Okay. Because I know you to be super conservative. Yes, so I am. I know this whole liberal thing is just a joke. <laughs> uh-huh. Oh, man. And I'm I so close laughing. to jumping in on this one, but I think I'm just going to keep that broken glass. <laughs> I understand. Yeah. Peter, please. Oh, please. No, I can't do it. I can't do it. Really? Well, no. <laughs> I'll, I'll say this, okay? I'll say this. is um, I did uh, some of my, my schooling in, uh, at the University of Edinburgh in Scotland, which is why I didn't know it until I moved there. But apparently it's, it's widely considered to be the paranormal capital of the world. And so the paranormal is very much celebrated in some ways. And, and then from there, I did a study uh, within the, the World Religions Program for a period of time. I was counseled 
when I was going after my graduate work degrees to to get a degree in a very conservative institution where I would have probably felt more comfortable, but then also go ahead and study in much more of a secularized institution to understand uh, a lot more of global thinking so you know how to sort of be within it. So, so that's why I went to Edinburgh. And in studying in the world religion department in Edinburgh, um, I'll say this, uh, almost every world religion, and uh, including many patterns within Christianity, would would account for the paranormal more so than discredit it. And, and there's a lot of different reasons for it, which is why I don't want to open up that can of worms, mm-hmm. um, because I don't know necessarily how to think about it. And, and it seems like any step you take in that direction, suddenly everything becomes a ghost mm-hmm. and everything becomes a demon right. and everything becomes... So I think we're talking about a very... Uh, the, I remember, I can boil it down this way, um, there, the most of, of religious culture in Africa, including Christian culture in Africa, faithful brothers and sisters in Africa would say things like, it's not a question of whether there's a spiritual realm, and I think, in which all of these beings might be present. The only question is, is how do we interact responsibly within that realm? And so there is a, there's a lot of different thought globally, is what I'd say. I, I, I'm not trying to lead anybody astray here. It's a humongous uh, topic. And maybe I think, until I moved over there, I didn't know how big of a topic it was globally because it, it was a really different experience for sure. Hmm. Okay, so, I'm wrong. I'm that, not saying that was next. Tom, that was Tom Brock saying that. We've wow. got that, we've got that on <laughs> tape. I mean, Brock, I mean, Brock, you budged. I just like shoved the door open. <laughs> it's, it's snowing and it just lightened <laughs> outside, right. Tom. So, <laughs> all right. so. Yeah. All right. Let's take a little break. We come back. We still have time for your question. 877-933-2484. You're listening to Guy Talk or Guys Who Talk. And it's Pastors Tom Brock, Tom Parrish, Dr. Peter Kapsner. Be right back. to the show guy talk is on great questions we had some really good questions coming in still they're still coming in so thank you for that all right we've got a bunch so we have to talk fast all right all right here we go um thanks for the topic on the trinity i believe in it but i don't understand the scripture that says jesus is sitting at his father's right hand side in heaven so how are they one when they are presented as two separate entities in heaven when you, if you're thinking of it in terms of looking at a picture and seeing a throne and the person on the right-hand side, you're kind of missing the point. In Jesus' day, in Roman day, in Greek day, the person who sat at the right side of the king, or what we call the father, had all the authority and power. The father had given all that authority and power to that individual. And I think the emphasis here is not where they're sitting. It's the fact that Jesus is now as we know him through the scriptures, has all the authority and power that we see in the God of the Old Testament that Mm -hmm. we see in the entire Bible. And, you know, I would say this. This is going to sound weird, but the Father is not the Son, and the Son is not the Spirit. They are three distinct persons. God the Father did not die on the cross. I mean, I have a pastor friend that one day prayed in church, God... God the Father, thank you for dying on the cross. And I took him aside after church. I said, that's called patripassionism. It's an old heresy. God the Son died on the cross. God the Father did not die on the cross. And, you know, who was Jesus praying to in the Garden of Gethsemane? Was he praying to himself if he's God? Well, no. You've got God the Son 
praying to God the Father. Again, this is beyond our noodle, but there's one God in three equal and eternal persons, and there are distinctions in the Godhead. Mm-hmm. What's the name of that heresy? I've never heard of that. <laughs> Patri, Father, Passionism, suffered. That God the oh. Father suffered and died on the cross. Well, I mean, he suffered and that his son was suffering, but he didn't suffer for our sins and, and pay the price for our sins. That was God Is that the in son. the Brock Theological yeah. Dictionary? No, that's an old <laughs> Latin word. I can't believe you didn't know that, Peter. Oh, no, my. No idea. I'm surprised, yeah. All right, we've got to keep moving because we've got a lot of questions. How do you tell a pastor, you guys are, might be familiar with this, how do you tell a pastor at a church that you're not uh, going to keep going because they're not preaching the truth all the time? And they've become, and they're being secular to the world in order to win people to come to church. Ooh, I like that. You know, I know you've got a good way of talking about that, Tom. I think you simply say, Pastor, I love you as a brother in Christ. We've got a problem, though, because you are not preaching the full gospel as historically been preaching. And here are three specific examples. If you can do that, you might do it humbly, do it lovingly. Yes. On the other hand, if this person has some good issues because the pastor's really off, okay, humbly, lovingly say, don't do it at the door when he's shaking hands. Say, Pastor, anytime we can set up a time this week and talk and lovingly, humbly share your thoughts. On the other hand, if you're saying, my pastor doesn't believe in all the truth like I believe in it, and this guy, because he disagrees with you on the rapture or something, you got to give room for your pastor not to believe exactly like you do. All right. Um... If we are the temple of the Holy Spirit as a believer, is the Holy Spirit constantly dwelling within us, or does it come and go? Does he come and go? I'm Holy sorry? Is, does he come and go? Does he come and go? What yeah. did I say? It. Oh, I was just reading the question. No, yeah, that's right. A lot of people call the Holy Spirit it. Yeah, it's not. It's a he. It's a well, he. Jesus said the kingdom of God is within you. So there, when you when you receive Jesus, you have the presence and the power of the kingdom of God you literally have the Holy Spirit dwelling within you, but there are times the Spirit is going to manifest itself in situations, whether whether miraculously, whether with wisdom, whether with power. And from our point of view, we say the Holy Spirit came upon that person when in reality the Holy Spirit was already there. It just manifested the power of the uh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I think you always, as a believer in Christ, have the Holy Spirit. He never leaves you. I will never leave you, nor will I ever forsake you. That wasn't said specifically of the Spirit, but of God. So I think when you're a believer in Christ, the Holy Spirit always indwells you. However, the Bible does say you can quench the Holy Spirit. You can push him down. So I don't pray, oh, God, fill me with the Holy Spirit for the first time, but I'll regularly pray, God, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Help me talk to that person or whatever. Not that the Spirit has ever left me. But I can push him down, and I need to be filled. Well, I can honestly say I often pray, Lord, don't let me get in the way of the Holy Spirit, Mm -hmm. because I can take over and not let the Holy Spirit move. Mm -hmm. All right, 1 Peter chapter 4. Did I already do this one? No. No. Okay, 1 Peter chapter 4. I talked about it during the break. Uh, In verse 6, it says, For this is why the gospel was preached, even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. And this is, uh, can you break this verse down for me? Does this uh, solve the problem for people who die without hearing about the good news? Oh, boy. Now we're back to clean up an aisle four, aren't we? I know we are. <laughs> You've got it, Peter. Nobody. I, not me, I, don't, I thought you guys would handle this one uh, beautifully. Here, I'll say this. Um, Oh, no, I'm not going to say that. This is a tricky one. I I know that we've come from, and understandably so, from the the theological 
uh, more recent theological ideas in the church, and by more recent, I mean the last three or 400 years, that have really emphasized uh, the idea that all of what's at stake in our Christianity is who goes to heaven and who goes to hell. And um, and those are obviously critically important questions, but I would say this equally so, that when you study the teachings and the writings of the early church, the, the primary question was who was ransomed from the kingdom of darkness um, as they were going about in this life. And questions of the afterlife were left for the afterlife. And there were a lot of questions and, and ways of understanding the afterlife all the way to the point that the earliest conceptions of um, what happened in the afterlife is that you're kind of held in a, in a holding tank uh, within the presence of God or potentially within the absence of God, but there, there's not the fullness of heaven and hell and that kind of experience. And it's part of why, again, I, I, I get concerned about bringing these things up, because if we if we try to bring them up in this way, we're going to confuse the listeners. We need way more time to kind of unpack these topics. But if we don't bring them up, then we're going to end up in all these very understandable questions all the time. And that's why I really wrestle with this. But the there's there has been in the history of the church, I'm not saying I advocate for it, but there has been within the responsible history of the church, the idea that there is going to be continued choice into the future kingdoms and that, that God is going to do beyond the, this current version of earth. And, and you see some pictures of that in Revelation where uh, Satan is going to be bound at some point in time. The people of God will live in freedom. But Satan also is going to be released at some point in, in some sort of future eon that uh, could deceive people from there. So I just I think we have to be a little bit careful not to be overly dogmatic. And yet at the same time, ugh, I hate talking about it because we'll end up confusing a lot of people, too. Hmm. Here, let me be overly dogmatic. <laughs> not really. I'm, I'm, th- this is a tough passage. First Peter 4 talks about, for this reason, the gospel has been preached even to the dead. And if I remember right, there's two ways that can be interpreted, meaning the people that are dead now, but when they were alive, they heard the gospel. And for this reason, the gospel was preached to the people that are now dead. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, that's one way to interpret it. Another way, if I remember right, is there's another passage in First Peter talks about Jesus going and preaching to the spirits now in prison mm-hmm. after he died. And it doesn't say he gave him a second chance, but that he went and he preached to the people that drowned during Noah's flood. Now, is that being referred to here again in First Peter 4? I don't know. We, I'd have to study that. Again, this is, I'll, I'll make a plea again. Get the ESV study Bible, mm-hmm. and you go to the bottom of the page, and they'll give you two or three interpretations through church history on this. Uh, and that's why you don't, don't try to study the Bible all by yourself. Mm-hmm. Let's wrap up with this question, because would be a great question to end the show with. How do you win someone to Christ who has no interest in God or Jesus or church? You hold in your heart the belief that Solomon says eternity is already in their heart. So what you do is you spend a lot of time listening to them. Mm. Let them talk. Let them tell you their concerns. And I have found that when I'm willing to really listen to somebody, even those who claim to be atheists, they start to talk about their spiritual needs. They don't realize it. They start talking about, you know, what happens when I die, or I don't know if I'm good enough, or this kind of thing. And you let people talk, and then you begin to challenge them on that basis. And I've been privileged to do that with a number of people, and I've seen a number of people come to faith in Jesus uh, through that process. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I'll go back to what we started the show with in the First Corinthians 13 passage about love needing to be the operating energy among the people of God. And, and the early church's witness was not necessarily going to try to win people one by one. Uh, it was some of that. But the early church's witness that called people into the faith was the demonstration of love within the community of faith that was so disruptive and different than the world around them. So how do you do it? I think um, we need about a, a one or two or three year window in which the church is really operating in that kind of love, because I think most people I know have become turned off to the church because the church has not been operating that way. Have you ever seen Ray Comfort go to the beach on TV yeah. and, and witness to people? Yeah. And he'll ask them, do you think you're going to heaven? Oh, I think so. Why? Well, I think I'm a very basically good mm -hmm. person. And then he takes them through the Ten Commandments. Have you ever lied? Have you ever uh, lusted? And if the person is honest, by the time he gets done with them, they realize, whoa, I'm in trouble. And I think some, I think we all need to hear God's law first and then the gospel. Because if you don't understand you're a sinner in trouble, you're not going to need Jesus. So in this instance where this person doesn't see any need for Christ, I think humbly, lovingly, you preach God's law. And, you know, we've all sinned and, and fallen short of the glory of God and we deserve hell. Once that gets into their head, they're going to want a Savior. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes, I'll say to young people, especially millennials, okay, you don't believe in sin. How are you dealing with your shame and guilt? Mm -hmm. And they will all look at me and say, oh, well, that's a different topic. No, it's the same topic. <laughs> mm -hmm. We just don't define it properly. Yeah. Shame and guilt's a big one. Yeah. Gentlemen, thanks. Great Thank hour. you, Thank Bill. You. Lots more questions that I didn't get to, so I need to apologize to everyone who did send in a question. They didn't hear their question asked on the air. Uh, I do want to let you know we will get to them, and it just may take a week. So they will all be back next Thursday. Uh, same uh, same time, and your question will get in the rotation for then. That's it for Guy Talk. Gentlemen, thank you. Thank you. T take a little break. we come back. Dr. Glenn Pickering is going to join me uh, for the full hour, and we're going to talk about our kingdom-limiting fears. I can't wait. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.